This is CliffCentral.com. All right, Leadership Masterclass. I'm Adrian Grunewald, Alison Yandu, and our very special guest, Advocate Tuli Madonsela. Welcome, Advocate. Thank you for this opportunity, Adrian, and good afternoon to your team and to the listeners. You can see we love you. We, we've just, we've just kind of, what's the right word? Surrounded you with community leaders and executives and managers, and they all want a piece of our public protectors. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you with us. Um, you're certainly, for me, it's an honour. We can't, uh, as interviewers, uh, really say who some of our favourite leaders are, but I'll, I'll, I'll admit today that you are one of my favorite leaders in our society and i'm grateful for you also on the panel we've got tabasile pumo she's a senior vice president at sibanya gold hi tabasile hi thank you for having me on the show you've been here before so it's great good to have some experience in the studio and then uh, community leader toko morolo she's the executive manager community services western area municipality so one of the the communities in which sibanya's mine functions so welcome to you toki Thank you very much. I'm really humbled to be here. Good to have you. And we have two other community leaders also in the studio, uh, as well as a live audience of Sibanye um, managers outside in the hub and in the studio on the couches. Lucky Motlabane and Faro Fikile, a counselor, also, I guess, at Western Area Municipality. So welcome, everyone. Good to have you in the studio. I'm going to share just one minute, just, just a, a thought, and it, it's based on a tweet that I sent that I know you're aware of uh, a short while ago. I tweeted something... To the effect of, in this world, people like you are envied. And that's not always a good thing. So let me expand, and then I'll throw a question at you, and we'll open the discussion that way. In my view, if I had to summarize you, and I cannot find all the words, I'd say you're gracious, you're kind, you're strong, you radiate integrity, you are loved. We'll get to the hated part as well. You can't only be hated in this world. But you are loved, respected, you are real, you are authentic, and much more. People like you, especially in positions of influence, are truly few and far between in today's world because position and power corrupts. We know that. They are often envied by those that would actually want to be like them. Just my view. But they can't because they are caught up in themselves, often in a downward spiral of selfish enrichment and wanting to please others perhaps or wealth creation or unethical moral behavior and so on and so forth. So because they don't have the courage to change, and become like someone like our public protector, um, guess what happens? They choose to envy and destroy. And this is not easy for, for leaders. However, I also said in my tweet, and, and of course one only have like 140 characters, um, because of you and because of who you are and because of some of these attributes that I shared now, you also have the character and ability to get through this successfully and grow from it, become stronger. And while this should convert those that are envious, and it does some, their hearts often grow harder instead. But someone like you keep walking down the right path courageously. You just keep walking down that path, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the resistance and the challenges are. My first question is, how do you do this? How do you, despite insurmountable opposition and resistance from the highest echelons in society, how do you just keep going down that path? I think that there's a spiritual base that gives you strength, but it may not be all. Tell us a little bit more about how you cope, how you deal with this. Firstly, thank you for that very gracious um, take on my life. Um, but from where I'm sitting, firstly, I wouldn't say that I'm the epitome of right doing. 
the label I would claim would be one of authentically trying to do what I consider to be right. Whether it's right or it's not right, I just try to be in integrity with my own values and in integrity with what mm. I consider to be right. Dealing with other people, I've always used my understanding that everyone is doing the best they can. That's and your assumption? You, you, yes. You, you function from that assumption? Honestly, that everyone mm. is doing the best they can. And if they knew better, they would do better. Yes, they feel threatened. At times people do certain things because they feel threatened. And when you're threatened, you do whatever you think would improve your fortunes. And in the case, they take a win-lose approach as opposed to a win-win approach. I do try mm. in my life as much as possible to operate from the basis that nobody has to lose for me to win. Mm. And... There's a lot that we, we can achieve through a, a win-win approach. And lastly, to say, yes, there's a spiritual grounding to everything that I do. I, I believe that my life is a purpose. I also believe that even when people do things that I consider hurtful and sometimes ridiculous, there's a reason why my higher power has decided that those people should come into my life and I am meant to use that experience to get better as a human being and as a leader. Mm. Uh, so do you, you, you kind of mentioned some there, I think, uh, but do you have mu certain mantras, certain principles, and, and that's what you shared with us, that, that also inspire you or motivate you? Quotes, mantras, that's the word, is it? Uh, and by the yes. way, before I continue, I, I asked a quite a few people to share some thoughts and questions that they that they would like to pose if they had the opportunity to sit in front of you. So some of my questions, I'll try and remember which those are, don't even come from me, but come from influencers in society. Those are the people I asked to, to share some, some questions. But this is one someone said, key mantras that provide you with strength. Do what you have to do in order, in order to end the space to do what you would like to do and Never assume that whatever the next person is doing, they are out to get you. They're just doing the best they can. Coming back to that principle. So that's the answer to that question. Are you motivated by vision or purpose? I mean, you did say you've, you believe your life has a purpose. And some yes. people seem to be motivated by daily purpose. I wake up and I want to make a difference in the world. Others are motivated by a, a, a vision. I want to become the CEO or the president of the country or run my own business. Do you... Which motivates you, or both? You seem very purpose-driven. It's both, but mostly purpose-driven. Mm. And in that, firstly, I believe my own life has a purpose, and nobody in this world is an accident. Everyone has a purpose, but often we're too overwhelmed by what's happening around us at any given time mm. that we can't make sense of what can we do with that particular situation to make a difference? And I do, yes, I, I am also motivated by a vision. I have a vision of of the world. I have a sense of what is the, 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 the best world where we could all live peacefully regardless of our differences in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, etc. And I have a sense that that ideal world is a world where there's peace, but that peace is based on mutual respect, affirming each other's Ubuntu and um, mm. a world where 
opportunities are equalized and nobody is destitute or desperate. Mm. We kind of call it an empowered society here. We want Absolutely. to transform towards that where people are empowered. And you know the difficult thing is even all organizations often start out like that, don't they? What you say sounds very much like what the ANC says. You know, they want a better life for all. And you'd go to the DA, you'd go to corporates, you'd go to all kinds of organizations. And, and ultimately, we all want this world that you speak of. I think the difference, and I'm not talking about the ANC, but I'm just talking about the difference between people who aim to make a difference and people who make a difference mm. is systems thinking. And it's also, systems thinking is about always understanding the impact of my actions on the mm. the goal I'm trying to achieve because if I'm thinking transactionally I could do things that are sabotaging my world and also understanding the the interconnectedness of life yeah. that if I engage in a transaction that is harmful but I think I'm solving a small problem here I have to understand that that transaction that looks localized has impact on mm. life as a system um, the one of the principles that I like is from Carvey Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey says, always begin with the end in mind. I, early in my life, I edited a a, a bit and said, always begin with the end in mind and stay with the end in mind throughout the process. Mm. I often refer to that as the big picture. So leaders Mm. have to see the big picture. Yes. um, And not just deal transactionally with a small picture every day. But that can be difficult. eh? And and, uh, my impression are... my impression is that you somehow manage to stay true to that big picture. Um, you have to in the kind of pressure you're under. Let's get there in a moment. I have a question, then I want to just bring the panel in for a moment here. And, and that is, did you actually start out your career wanting to become a, for lack of a better term, leader, as opposed to a legal practitioner, expert, uh, a law person? I mean, that, that's what you studied. Did you ever think you are going to become a leader per se, influence thousands, millions? No, not at all. I think in my upbringing as a lawyer and, and and as a professional, the whole question of leadership is not something that was in my day-to-day practice. But mm. uh, I think in my early 30s, I started then thinking about leadership and I was exposed to the notion that leadership is not about having a position. It's about influencing people mm. towards a particular uh, a shared goal. And of course, then if I have a vision of life, but I don't wake up or do things uh, from the point of view of a leader. It's always a professional decision to say, what am I required to do? Let's, For example, as a power protector, is there a fact that we need to find? Is mm. there a decision we have to make about whether the facts disclose proper conduct or improper conduct? And how are we going to remedy the situation? It's often, it's always transactional, but transactional based on how we see our mm. purpose as a team, how we see the purpose of the institution, and ultimately what kind of world are we contributing towards? Okay, so so I just want to hear from the panel here, and, and Tuli, you can obviously jump in here. Toki and Tabasili and, and, and Alice. So here's someone who started out her career just wanted, wanting to be a legal practitioner, an expert. You, you did explain that it evolved, but, but yet she became a leader who's influencing millions. What resulted in that? It often happens with a lot of people. What caused that to happen? That she, she, she 
she went out to study legal law, and yes, she is today, influencing millions. What fell in place? What happened? Alice, your thought? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Ajahn, because I also love the way the public protector has dealt with this question. And it often amazes me, and I think we've spoken about this in the past, that it often is the case that if you're a leader, it's not necessarily you who kind of bestows to your, on you, on yourself, that title. Some people do, of course. You know, you're Donald do, Trump's and so on. For all reasons. <laughs> but of course. Yeah. But often it's, it's the circumstances around mm-hmm. through which you find yourself that then determine how people view you and then bestow that mantle of, of a leader. But yeah. often the case, you will not go around saying, I'm the leader. Of course, if you are humble enough and you've got integrity and you have purpose. Mm. Okay. Actually, just to yeah. add to that, we, we once organized the leadership conference for women. I think it was 1999. And we had Mujanko Gumbi as one of the speakers. And that I think those were the early years where leadership training became very famous. And she came there and say, she said to us, if you think you're a leader, look behind you. Do you see anyone following? If nobody is you're not a leader. And she also said that leadership is like being a lady. Uh, mm. If you have to tell people that you are a lady, you probably are not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know that stuck with you. Uh, we've got an interesting world, though, where th- this word followers have changed. You've got a Gareth Cliff who's got 1.3 million followers. And even before he started Cliff Central and had no staff technically reporting to him, he was a serious influencer. So I guess you've got formal and informal Followers in today's world, especially with social media, formal, informal influences. Okay, Tabasile, your 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 comment on how how did it happen? What what pieces fell in place for the public protector to become a leader, even though she just wanted to be a legal practitioner in the beginning? Look, I think she summed it up nicely. She she lived her life understanding that her individual contribution is 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 actually serve, serving the whole, and that in itself means she understands. That what she does does not only impact upon her. I mean, she beautifully summed up how she views the world in general. And that by design tells me that the pieces didn't have to fall in place. Her philosophy is what fell in place. And it began to align with, and, and, and with, with mm. who she is, with how she does her day-to-day job. What I'm really, really pleased about in South Africa in particular, being a woman where, black for that matter, where the challenges, just even before you become a lawyer, insurmountable, is how she's been able to just navigate through that gracefully, understanding that it's about the contribution mm. and not about the gender. That actually makes a big difference. Yeah. The, um, the advocates, yeah. <laughs> Seems Sorry. to rise above, and and that's what Nelson Mandela did. Rose above ordinary differences that often create a chasm between us. <coughs> Why? Because there was a big picture. I think it's 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 attaching yourself to your values and your principles, and then the big picture. Toki, for me, I, I guess you know what is key in terms of you know what has also been said. It's about you know being driven by passion and purpose in terms of what you do. Because if you have those qualities, you know, where you want to to make the best of whatever area or situation that you are entrusted with as an individual, people realize something in you. But it's also about, you know, always wanting to go, you know, further than the rest, going an extra mile, Mm. you know, not just doing an average work. 
you know, always doing your best that whatever comes out of that is something that will add value, not yeah. just value to the people that you're working with, but also, you know, move whatever, you know, a, a institution or whatever area that you are part of, you are able to, you know, move, be part of those yeah. people that are moving. Yeah. And in such a way, people recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, I was hearing in terms of, you know, when you were introducing this, where Sibanye says, you know, sometimes, you know, when you look at leadership, leadership is, you know, a, a maid. But for me, I also believe, I also believe that, you know, some people are born with those traits mm. and with a conducive environment, an environment that allows you, That's where you the know, to, 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 mm. to, to be able to express yourself in terms of your God-given talents, but also in terms of, you know, whatever purpose that you have been placed on this planet yeah. to do, you'll be able you know, to come out and show those talents that God okay. has bestowed upon you. And so that's where you are made then. You yes. need the environment. You need something to, to the catalyst, the Definitely. crucible. Yes. The, yeah, correct. Okay. Um, public protector, a question that someone asked, and I think you've answered it kind of, but, but let's, let's see if you need to bring in something else. You've been vili- vilified, attacked, and smeared by people you regarded as comrades. How have you managed to keep your head straight and focus on the job at hand? I think partly you've answered it with your principles that you believe in in your life. Um, And then the question was, what are the three biggest leadership lessons you've learned from this? So may I just add to that? Is there anything you need to add from what you've said? Three biggest leadership lessons are what I'm really interested in. Uh, Some of it you've mentioned. But have you learned anything else since you've gone through this, um, what do we call crucible? I mean, crucible comes up again uh, over the last few years. Well, uh, let me just start with the how do I deal with the the people who insult me. The first thing is really to acknowledge that it's painful. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't acknowledge that it's painful, it can come back and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and you hurt somebody else other than the one who has hurt you. Mm. The second thing is then to forgive that person. So mm. it's not that I don't acknowledge that it's hurting. I acknowledge and then, and then I forgive the person. And that's where the principle of saying, well, this person is doing the best they can. And mm. they, um, if, when they know better, they'll do better. It's about managing the gap between what the person does or says and then trying to respond afterwards, after processing it. The leadership lessons, the first one that I have learned personally is that it starts, leadership starts at home. Yes, we seek not to lead, we seek to be significant, but the main leadership lessons you will have will be learned by being a parent because leading your children is the most important task but the most trying task. Mm. And the second leadership lesson I've learned is that if you now have positional leadership, seek always to understand before you push for being understood. Because when you you get people and you insist on a particular way of living life before you get to understand why are they insisting on a particular mm. approach. There's a clash of worlds. It helps to firstly get a sense of why do they say what they say or do what they say. What's their mm. worldview? What, what are the outcomes they seek? 
then you move them to your world. And linked to that is this the last issue is always try to hear what is not being said. Again, mm-hmm. I'm talking here with pr- primarily positional leadership or even parental leadership is that mm-hmm. there are things that are never said, but mm-hmm. because they're not said, it doesn't mean they're not being said silently and you need to be perceptive and you need to see what's the impact of your life or of the things you do or don't do on other people because regardless of what you ask of fellow human beings they will start doing things based on how you interact with them as opposed to what you tell them to do mm. Mm. so so I, I, i'd love to hear from our panel their thoughts on on the leadership lessons you've learned but in a very visible leadership leadership position and in a society where top leaders often choose to communicate via the media they actually don't even give you an audience they just communicate through their pr or through mm. newspapers all their contacts their thoughts and feelings and we seem to see a lot of that going back and forth and you just think come on flipping president zuma and julius malema speaking years back just get together in one room and have a good conversation and seek Absolutely. to understand we don't have enough of that a lot well, of communication lot of, is key and it happens through media so so that makes those principles difficult i guess in mm. your position you would say listen i'd like to come see you because i want to seek to understand i want to understand what's behind the scenes here no no i'm not going to see you i'm going to communicate through the sunday times but that's where we use i think when we're in positional leadership we use too much of our hard power mm. yeah and that's the tr- kind of training i also inculcate in my team is that we have a lot of power and now that the constitution is is affirmed our power we have even more power yeah however you have a duty to mo- to use more of your soft power now that you have significant power you actually shouldn't use it unless absolutely necessary mm. you've got to use so a soft power which is really about engaging mm. and getting people to understand this world view that you're trying to generate in the world because even if you move out then people proceed with that world view regardless of your absence mm. Mm. hard power soft power that's what that's nicely put and that's what you have a lot of and that's why we need people who are in powerful positions to have soft power it's almost power without title you would still mm. have that power if you didn't have title and position mm. okay we're going to go to a question before we do that very quickly um Alice Tabasile and Toki, uh, very brief comments on those leadership principles that, that she's learned, if you want to comment. Alice? Yeah, I quite like the fact that uh, Public Protect talks about us seeking to be significant rather than to lead, because leading, again, arises out of the circumstances and the crucible that you find yourself in. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe just as a shout-out to the Public Protector, I think she embodies true excellence because I can just only imagine the impact of uh, what she's saying to a young, you know, person growing up, especially young girls, you know, who have so much to look up to in terms of what she embodies. I think mm. we're grateful for that. Yeah, thank you, Alice. Thank you. Any other comments? No, I must just say I'm schooled. Thank you so much, Public Protector. And I hope every young girl listening out there would really begin to embrace some of the principles you've shared with us today. Those are powerful principles so mm. far. Okay, anything you want to add? Yeah, in terms of what uh, she said, that uh, sometimes you need to know why, why things are being said. But not only that, you know, I think also very significant, you know, and that I have learned uh, in my career as a social worker, as part of my training, that you listen with 
five years. Listen to what is being said, how it is being said, why it is being said, when it is being said, you know, and context as well. Context. And, 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 and for me, you know, you, you, you will be able, you know, to even understand people in spite of them being very negative to you. And, and, and I think, you know, you know, a, a listening to what, uh, what she's saying, it's about, you know, acknowledging. For me also, I found that uh, a public protect, that it's hurting, you know, you know, you need to express that. But at the end, you know, I always say maybe spirituality that, you know what, you know what, nobody's perfect. But also, you know what, all these people, as she said, are trying to do their best, you know, the way they can. And in the long run, as a leader, you tend to move, you know, and be able to forgive when you understand that, Mm. you know what, in any relationship, it's a complex situation. Leadership, it's even worse. You are in the spotlight. People are looking at you. But, hey, you know, it's not personal. That was, uh, yeah, over and above the three principles all that, that that formed part of it, the the maturity to admit and recognize that it hurts. I mean, that is that's emotional intelligence probably, mm-hmm. and then forgive yes. another emotional intelligence component, very important, and that's probably also a spiritual intelligence component mm-hmm. that makes that forms part of the makeup of a leader. Advocate, can we take a question from the floor? We might take a break and then come back to the answer, giving you thirty seconds to answer. Let's take the question quickly. Uh, introduce your name, and then go for it. Advocate, hello. I'm Shireen. I'm the Leadership Development Manager for Sabania, and we're so excited to have you with us here today. My question is, what has been a defining moment for you that has shaped you into the leader that you are? And there might have been several moments. Has there been a point where you've learned a lesson or something that has evolved you into the leader that you are? Thank you. All right. Good question. Your answer, Advocate. It's an excellent question. There's been, uh, Shireen, many defining moments. Perhaps I thought I should just rather focus on the last seven years. I think one of my defining moments has not been a public one. It was dealing with my team as somebody who's placed in positional leadership and somebody who has a view on how life should be lived and how companies should run and starting with saying, okay, we should forget about um, performance bonuses because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And uh, somebody who I now regard as a friend, uh, Edward Kisbert, Kiswetta was somebody I spoke to about how do you lead people? Do you lead them by saying you're wrong, I'm right? Or do you create a path of defining a future we all are proud of going towards and taking your team towards that path? And in in moving so, you're going to be slower than Mm. if you insist this is where we're going, this is how fast, but it's a more sustainable and more than anything else, a more pleasant journey than the one where you're pushing people. That was one thing that I learned and I take it with me regardless of where I will have to go in the future. The second one was, again, in the last uh, position, was um, the whole thing about listening to what is not being said and in seeing what is not visible was um, the difficulty I had with my 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 deputy because we used to have tea right until the last moment. Mm. Right, I mean, uh, a whistleblower told me that things were happening in June, but I'll tell you that right until the the scandal broke in the media in on my birthday in September, 
we were having tea and she would bring me presents and so clearly she had problems mm. because then on my birthday she told me that there are certain things she hadn't been happy about mm. because people do things when they're not happy and there's no explanation and they don't feel they're being heard mm. and so that's a lesson I've learned about if people don't say things it doesn't matter what your intention is but it quiet conversations are very important. I found that even as pop protector right now, I have to get people to behave in a particular way and to acknowledge their wrong. But I found that having quiet conversations and keeping human relationships mm. works better mm. than just insisting I'm a policeman, I have yeah. a gun, I can tell you what you must that, do. That first yes. principle you mentioned there, yes. Advocate, it, in a world where you're expected to move darn fast, so the world is moving fast. That's true. Uh, and already government has a reputation of moving slow for whatever reasons. But putting aside government, if you're a corporate, it doesn't matter where you are, you have to make quick decisions very fast with more informed followers and team members who want to be part of the decision-making, but they also want decisions to be done fast. And you just said now, admittedly so and correctly so, it can slow down a bit, but it's a more pleasant and more inclusive journey. But that, that's a dilemma I think leaders face today is, is the speed and the more pleasant, inclusive journey. Absolutely. I had to because I, I have, I'm very authentic and I have a firm view about how life should be lived and how life shouldn't be lived. Uh, I tend to be a little bit dogmatic in my approach. However, I learned that you really have to, you really have to accept that we all are humans and there are things I can see that you can't see and the things you can see that I can't see. And that's where it means giving up some of my vision mm. and, and, and allowing the team to shape the vision and the path. But yes, you're right. You still have to manage the speed, yeah. but it certainly will not the speed you would have loved to move at. And it certainly the vision will not be co entirely your own. It would be a redefined one. And that's a more sustainable vision because it said that a, a, a a good leader, and I hope to God that I would have, I would fit that definition, leaves an organization that's going to do better after you leave the organization mm. than during your time. Because you would have then influenced people to define their own future mm. and to find their own role in that future and to there's sustain that role. Uh, there's more f yes. emotional buying into mm. it. Um, and, and that's, that's difficult. In a world where the leader is expected, in social media, for example, hmm. you're expected, if you're President Zuma, to make a decision today about your police commissioner. That's true. No, in fact, yesterday. And, and even people true. with all these mistakes, he wants to counsel and he wants to talk to people about it and he wants to do it inclusively. Uh, that's the president that I met in 2011 anyway. Uh, and he wants to involve people in the decision making. And it's often mm. the right thing, but mm. the, the world expects you to decide yesterday. Wherever. A quick question from the audience. Um, panel, you're welcome to jump in anytime. Go for it. Okay, thank you. Uh, advocate, uh, such an order meeting you. Uh, I just want to say mm. you're such an inspiration and role model to others. Do you or did you have role models in your life that shaped you? Certainly. I had a lot. My mother... Uh, who was very compassionate and very authentic in the way she lived her life. My father, who was more of more like Judge Moseneke's father, disciplinarian, um, but uh, uh, so much integrity and 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 a, a sense of 
um, responsibility. Apart from them, I was influenced by women such as Charlotte McLeake, the life of Olive Schreiner, Guamile, Mandela. I tended to read a lot about people's lives and people's biographies. And a lot of them, somehow I gravitated towards women, including those in the Bible, such mm-hmm. as Deborah. Thank you. Okay, there, there are lots of things holding our country back. Let's go a little bit bigger picture, and then we'll come back to to the smaller picture or the picture of leadership. Um, but we could talk all day about what's holding the country back. But, but <coughs> someone asked the question, is there an entrenched system of patronage that pervades government structures? And then also a follow-up one from that. The person asked, are the anti-corruption initiatives having any effect in our country? If we read this through media and through sentiment and perception, they might be feeling, no, we're losing this battle. Uh, I'm also interested in, in the fact that you see all the negative in the country. Do you still feel positive about the country? Uh, you know, wh- What is your attitude towards this world we live in when you only see all this negative? Uh, I mean, it's not easy. But coming back to, is there an entrenched system? And are the anti-corruption initiatives actually working? Right. There is an entrenched system of patronage and that we cannot run away from. It's not legalized. It is, even under apartheid, we had an entrenched system of patronage and it was always, it was political patronage. But in our case, I think it has been worsened by having uh, laws such as BEE and, and also the fact that we have... Um, privatized a lot of government service delivery, which then requires a lot of tenders. So I'm saying that's a social thing. It's not a legal thing. The legal thing mm. is is we have, we, we're one of the best run countries in terms of the PFMA, Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act and, and 217. And that's why for me, I would say that the anti-corruption initiatives are working despite the fact that we have a systemic problem when it comes to to patronage and when it comes to corruption, but we are winning the wars. If you ask me and you say, um, am I sad? Am I worried about the future? No, we are a, a resilient country. Of activists, aren't we? We are. We, we've come this far because of that resilience because of that visionary approach to who who are we and what are we trying to be when we solve all of these problems we always boiled it always boils down to what south africa do we want and that's not something we've invented now in 2016 the south africa we want is the same south africa we want that was defined by people like pixley gasse around mm-hmm. 19 when the Union of South Africa was formed. It's one where really government operates on the basis of the will of the people. There is a predictable system of governance. Nobody is above the law. In other words, there's a rule of law. And, and lastly, there's equality of opportunity among people and everyone is accountable for their actions. All right. Now, I'm going to share something with you. I got a really passionate, honest, sincere email this morning based on a, a daily leadership thought that we send to leaders out there in their inbox. And, and I definitely also want the panel after the advocate to also come in on this. Uh, this is what the thought said. It said, South Africa is endowed with a diverse tapestry of leaders whose life experiences should inspire hope about our future as a nation. 
Okay, South Africa is endowed with a diverse tapestry of leaders whose life experiences should inspire hope about our future as a nation. Then I got this email from a professional person, very successful, great leader, I believe. And I'm translating from Afrikaans to English. If there are so many leaders in South Africa, so many great leaders, why are things so negative, says the person. Where are we going if we continue like this? Who is in control and of what are you or am I in control? If I am, in fact, in control of anything, he says. I want to contribute and do so in my small way, but I feel like it is being nullified in a bigger picture. So I do things, but it just seems like it disappears into into the air with all the negative things happening. To such an extent that it doesn't really make a difference when I, when I try and make a difference. Then he, he went on, on a, a sort of a couple of sentences explaining you know the story about a little boy on the beach with thousands of starfishes on the on the on the beach that washed out and he was throwing them back into the sea someone said what are you doing he said i'm saving starfishes and he said well you're not making a difference look at all these thousands of and he threw one back into the sea and he said well i made a difference to that one so he shares that with me and then he says in your view and i won't hold you to it adrian where can i become involved to make a large impact on the improvement of everyone's lives in south africa so that's really his question. Where can I get involved to make a bigger impact as a human being? And currently, he's in a big corporate environment. It happens to also be in mining. So uh, very appropriate to have mining leaders in here. So, Advocate, you answer first. Answer this person. It's a, I know the individual. I've spent lots of time with this individual. And, and passionately, I want to make a difference, but I feel like it just it gets over, overwhelmed by, I guess, corporate politics maybe or corporate things going wrong or the bigger social environment and politics coming across so negatively and a lot of corruption and, and deceit. And I, I, just don't, I feel like it just disappears like mist before the sun. Where can I get involved? What must I do? It starts with a, a paradigm shift in terms of who do we regard as a leader. I, I, I was listening, the person says we have a lot of leaders my sense is that the majority of people, or virtually everyone is a leader. It's the difference is whether they're leading or misleading. But all of our lives are leading people somewhere, either through our actions or what we say. What we, we need to do is to make sure that whatever we do, we must know that we are leading, whether we chose, chose consciously to lead or we didn't. But in Whatever we do, say or say or not say, mm. we unconsciously influence people to say things are acceptable or to believe things are not acceptable. We unconsciously give people permission to do certain things or we unconsciously uh, stop people from doing certain things. And that's the starting point, to know okay. you're a leader and seek to to be conscious in which way are you leading people to. Yeah. And Secondly, as with that notion of everyone is a leader and everyone must lead is solve whatever problem. The starfish approach mm -hmm. is an excellent one, is that when none of us is called upon to save the world, we are called upon to save, to solve the problems we see and the, the, the problems that are our size. In, in this particular case, I would say to the person, firstly, the first solution is don't be part of these problems. Mm. Some of the greatest problems we have in our lives at the moment in government is corruption. Don't be part of it, no matter how little is it, even if it's, it's bribing the traffic cop, uh, whether it's corruption in industry, even if it means colluding about making bread expensive, don't be part of that. So you've solved half the problem. Secondly, when others are doing wrong things, 
if you can tell them, uh, ask them not to do wrong things. Stand up. And, yeah. and secondly, mm. st- don't look the other way. And it's not just about corruption. It's also one of the biggest problems we have as a country right now is social injustice, mm. inequality, poverty. So anything that's going to create more inequalities among us, anything that's going to plunge people into poverty, uh, do what you can, even if it's just a small thing that you you can do. And then, but lastly, if this person is a member of industry, work with groups that are doing something, whether they're raising money to solve some of our social injustices, or they are talking to industry about right and wrong in terms of corruption and other corporate infringements, or they're talking to government about corruption and other governance in infringements, be part of those conversations. Okay. All right, so let's uh, panel very briefly. We're running out of time. What would your answer be on top of what the public protector said to this individual? Yeah, I just have a quick question for the public protector. Since she's someone leading from the front, <coughs> what would be your advice to business leaders in particular? Because one problem we have in this country is business, uh, you know, engaging what I call strategic complacency, never speaking out. Yet, when a few exceptions have spoken out, we know what has happened. You know, we had an episode in 2011 with Rural Causa. What should leaders, business leaders do to be able to be uh, where you are in terms of your philosophy to speak out? Okay, so... Uh, I wouldn't encourage mm. them to speak as individuals, as Mr. Mm. Causa did, because it may have consequences, not just for you, but also for employees. I would, and I, much as I value his bravery and and i think it was courageous of him but when i speak to business i always say speak as a group and um, but also i think the most important part of business contribution is peer monitoring because there's corruption in government because there's corruption in our society all of the things that happen in, in government involve people in government and people in society and the UN Global Compact encourages business to work with government to eliminate wrongdoing in, in, in business dealings with government, things like corruption, and, uh, and these days they're also including uh, illicit capital outflows. Okay, thank you. Very quickly, you guys want to answer the the question that I posed? Thank you for mm-hmm. that, Public Protector. Yeah. Where, where do I make a difference? Just to add very briefly, and then we go to a question in the audience. You know, for me, I guess people sometimes want to do things and have an audience, you know, that will sort of, that will sort of, you know, acknowledge them. Mm. For me, it's to look around you. You don't have to have an audience looking at you in making a difference Mm. or wanting, you know, people in government or anywhere to to really, you know, know that you are doing something. Look around you, your Mm. neighbor, for instance, Mm. if your neighbor does not have, you know, what needs to be the basics, start there. You know, and and, okay. and and make a difference. So for me, needs are, are so numerous out there. You mm. just have to just do something in your own way without you know expecting somebody to acknowledge you to affirm me to affirm you. Okay. Yeah, that's what I can say. All right. Start. Thank you so much, mm. Toki. Yeah, for me, it's, it's important that they start with the families so that that can ripple out into the local communities that they are in, and hopefully that will ripple out even even bigger. Very good advice. You know, I, I will still respond to his email as well, but I say to him, I think it should be within all of us to try our best to make the biggest possible impact we can at all times. Mm-hmm. But if en route you forget the little impact you can make to the 
ordinary individuals right in front of you, um, right around you, beginning with your own kids and your wife and husband and family and your staff members, then you're on the wrong wicket. You're on the wrong path. Because some of us want to do it for audience maybe or to be part of, to be like the public protector. It must be nice to be out there making a big difference and impacting millions and having so many followers on Twitter and blah, blah. But, but if you are there, do not forget about the small things around you because then you're on, on a wrong, wrong road. All right, we have a question from the audience. Good afternoon, Advocate. Uh, where does somebody with your uh, exceptional uh, journey that you've been through as public protector uh, potentially go to next? <laughs> okay, so, so I'm, going to, I'm going to contextualize that question because I had that from quite a few people. So we'll, we'll, we'll come there now. And, and maybe I should throw mine in to add to that, if I may, because I had people ask this question. Someone influential said to me, asking the same question pretty much, uh, in line with that, I think that if South Africa held a poll right now for who should be president, you will win hands down, or she will win hands down. Now, coming from me and building on the question, I know that you have no political ambitions. You had my book launch, and I've heard your answer before. You don't see yourself in politics. And my question to build on there, is there something, a revelation or a specific crisis situation or something that could actually persuade a Tuli Maloncela to go into, and, and I hate using the word, into serving society through <laughs> politics, through uh, yeah, something that results eventually to becoming president of the country? Because that's the kind of person we need, what you embody. And, and, and maybe you, you don't think you fit that criteria perfectly as a human being. You know yourself, you know your weaknesses. But but there are people saying, go for it, be the president. And if we had to vote today, you'd make it. Um, so your views, answer that question and then mind that I've kind of wrapped around it. Right. Thank you for the questions. I think the problem starts in society where we lose authenticity, where people with very good intentions think you need to do one, two, three. And that's very good intentions because they think you can do that. But the important thing is always to follow your own path mm -hmm. and help society because we're all here to solve the problem in life. That's what Miles Monroe tells all of us and I think is right. We, we, and each one of us has to find the problem we're born to solve and then focus on that problem. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the problem I feel that I at value when I solve are problems relating to justice, relating to social injustice, inequality, uh, and, and, and advising people accordingly. And that's something I've always done with or without a title, something uh, uh, dealing with justice, which takes me to the question about where to next. I will practice law as an advocate. It's just a question of deciding which bar I will join. I will also be teaching law. I will always be part of civil society activism. And that takes me back to your question again, Adrian. We always think that for people to solve our problems out there, everyone must be a politician. I think we need civil society to start um, uh, to continue to to speak in its own voice and, and not just about what's wrong in government about what's wrong in society and what more right we can do providing solutions about right things I liked what you both said about just solving the little problems that we have. When it comes to social injustice for example, all of us can raise a little bit of money mm. to ensure that 
someone's potential is freed through education mm-hmm. or through transferring business skills, whatever it is. And those are things that civil society uh, mm-hmm. is is part of the community I'll be part of. Just to look at how do we play roles, meaningful mm-hmm. roles towards the South Africa we want, whilst obviously speaking about what we suggest government should do less and what we think government should do more without mm-hmm. being politicians. Uh, let me just be a bit annoying here for a moment I'll be one of the first to say that we need to realize in today's world that's so connected that you really don't have to be a politician to make a difference absolutely Absolutely. so I I agree with that at the same time we can't keep doing the same things over and over and over again uh, voting for the same kind of political type individuals and think we're going to have different results we need something different we need different people's people up their peoples we need different leaders to occupy presidential positions. And, and I'll, I'll put my hand on the block. We need someone like you. Whether it's you or someone else, we need that. We really need that sort of person who can who can take that mantle and, and, and not be absolute power corrupts. Otherwise, we'll just always be cycling into the same problems. I agree with you that we need good leaders. But what I would say is that for me, a messianic approach to South Africa going forward is not going to work mm. because uh, our icon, former President Nelson Mandela said, even the most benevolent of people have human failings. Mm. Mm. So if we put our back skirts on this Messiah, whoever that Messiah mm. is going to be, I, it, I, it's, it's, a, it, it's got some merit, but it's not going to take us there. I think for me, the people who are investing right now in young people, conversations with young people, which is a conversation I'll join as, as soon as I, uh, as, as I stop, conversations with young people mm-hmm. around building a united nation, taking the constitution and looking at what does the constitution require and measuring all conduct at the state, regardless of whose conduct is it against the constitution and building more young people who are conscious of the South Africa we want and who are prepared to, to, to play a role because they already are ready. The World Economic Forum has done a study showing that the millennials, which is the the young people today, want to be part of building the new world. Mm. With or without our permission, they will play a role in building a new world. But currently, a lot of them, because they are the instant generation, they obviously are pushing us towards social justice, but often not always using the constitution and then working with them on a path they already are on but using the constitution they themselves and these young people can volunteer to join politics if they want to be part of that Mm. and who knows maybe the next president will come from these young people because those days young people are not exactly tomorrow's leaders Mm. they are emerging leaders Okay, now I'm going to ask you for a final message to South Africa out there as a leader. Could be a leadership message, any message from the heart. And then after that, I'll ask every panel member just to take 30 seconds, wrap it up, or ask the final question. The journalists here yeah, they always have questions. Um, but but we'll, we'll just we'll just go a few more minutes. But we're almost done. Just final message to South Africans. Well, we are a resilient nation. We belong together, we agreed to build a united nation 
And based on Ubuntu, we can and we are building that United Nation. And what we need to do going forward is maybe to use what the Rotary Club uses and what John Wessel used in, in his life is do all the, the good you can do wherever you can and with all the people you can work with. Mm, wise words. All right, talk here very quickly. For me, you know, we need as a nation, but also as a country, as a world, you know, to acknowledge that, you know, we are living in a fallen world, you know, a world that needs to be saved. We can always, you know, stay positive and do the best that we can in terms of rather than, you know, being part of, you know, you know, scattering. Yeah. We try in our own way, in our little corners, you know, to try together, you know, gather people, gather ideas and not destroy. So for me, stay positive. Thank you. There is, you know, there is, Always you know, that, <laughs> that, 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 that uh, 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 horizon where we'll be able to make it. It doesn't matter when and how, okay. but I know staying positive is what we can achieve. Like the public protect, I think he has a, a positive spirit. Thank you. We can learn from that. Toki Morolo, thank you for joining us in the studio today. Tabasile, two more, your final words. Thank you. I think South Africa is for us and about us. And I think it's important that all of us take our rightful place and make a difference in the country that we want to live in. Thank you so much, Tabasile. Pumo from from Sibanye as a, one of the senior vice presidents. Alice. Yeah, look, I, I'm tempted to ask a, a final go, go, question go, 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 yeah, yeah. of Public Protect. Public Protect, knowing what you know, um, what could you share with us in terms of how do you now think of the time or the day, the hour, the minute you got the call that you become the Public Protector? I would imagine that the president was involved in that call. Now the president was not involved, uh, um, but yes, um, I'm grateful that call happened. In fact, I believe right now that it was the right decision to make. In fact, I would, had I known then what I know now, I would have jumped faster to take the responsibility because I think each one of us is called upon at any given time to be part of the solution. And when I started this job, somebody likened me to Esther and say, when mm. you get favor that you don't expect mm. and which others might even consider unmerited favor, mm. there is a reason why you should be there and you should fulfill that purpose, find that purpose and fulfill it. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think you've been a great Esther. And, and mm. I know I, somewhere on Twitter I mentioned some people quoted the constitution mm -hmm. saying it's only one term that you can be there I'd, from what they sent me the impression I had was that it's not cast in stone it is it is, is it in fact cast in <laughs> yes. stone so you cannot you cannot unless they change the constitution yes. okay well darn it um, so so you know we wish you well I mean um, Thank you. I think all of us hope and dream and, and wish that you would I don't know do more I think you've been a brilliant Esther Mm. And a fantastic Esther. Uh, and that was such a great analogy. If we close the loop on your job as public protector, what someone said in the beginning, I, I think you've um, been a great example. It would be heart-wrenching if you somehow um, disappeared off the public scene uh, because you've showed that you can stand up, that you can, can be ethical, that you can speak truth to power, that you can remain authentic in, in the midst of incredible pressure. You've shown all that, and, and those are the people we need to make a difference at a very high level. 
Um, but do whatever you need to do. Just please, please just stay stay involved somehow. Um, we'll, we'll, find we'll, we'll find, find her. You. We'll find <laughs> you. We'll find you. She's got no place to hide. <laughs> All right, everybody. That was a, a fantastic conversation with our public protector advocate, Tuli Madonsela, on the Leadership Masterclass. Thank you for joining us. We uh, look forward to being with you again next week. Cheers, everyone. This is CliffCentral.com.